0: This is the Retail Politics Podcast.
1: Here we strive to give you the best political information about your nation.
0: One download at a time. Here's your host,
1: former congressional correspondent and award-winning reporter, Jerry Shields.
0: Thank you for once again spending 30 minutes of your precious time with us. As Today we bring you our annual Martin Luther King edition to discuss the politics of racial reckoning. Almost two years after a Minneapolis police officer killed George Floyd, the nation appears to be in a racial reckoning not seen since the days of Dr. King. But is the increased inclusion of Black Americans in news reports and television commercials sincere? Or is corporate America trying to capitalize on the nation's latest civil rights struggle? To address those questions with us today is Phyllis Alexander, a senior leader and former board president with the National Coalition Building Institute, a Washington, D.C. nonprofit group who provide communities with diversity, equity and inclusion
1: training. Welcome, Phyllis. (laughs) Thank you, Jerry. You make me smile. You're so enthusiastic. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's always good to have you. you. You you joined us before. We had a very interesting, rousing conversation, and I always enjoy having you uh, having you with us. So, as I mentioned, it appears that the nation is going through a racial reckoning not since not seen since the days of King. But uh, do you think this effort is sincere? I I saw one major uh, corporation announced that it was giving one million dollars to black organizations, and then the next. Day, they promote two white guys to a leadership position, and we're seeing more Black Americans in commercials and advertisements and news stories. Um, is it a sincere effort, do you think?
1: I think it's both, and I think there are some corporations who have leadership that, want, that, that recognize that there needs to be a change and are making a best effort to be better uh, global citizens in the world and that they're trying to decenter white supremacy in their practices and center equity. Mm-hmm. And then I think the majority of our corporations are all about the business of making a profit. I mean, that's what they're in the um the global market to do, mm-hmm. not to do in their opinion, not to do social justice. Mm-hmm. They they see it as um incongruent. And so they're about the business of making profit, and there used to be a time our corporations would eschew taking money from black uh customers you know Mm -hmm. they Mm -hmm. they actually felt like uh they didn't want our money they wouldn't let us shop in their stores Mm -hmm. they wouldn't let us at their lunch counters you know all that kind of good stuff so they wouldn't take our money oh
0: yeah but
1: now that there is global competition they need every customer that they can get Mm -hmm. and so they are going to read the tea leaves and if if the culture is shifting this way, they're going, they might not lead the shift, but they're certainly going to follow the shift mm-hmm. because they need those customers. And so mm-hmm. I think, the, you know, corporations are made of people. They're not, um, you know, they're not objects. And so the people within these corporations are about trying to honor their stakeholders. Their stakeholders want to make more money mm-hmm. and they are going to do that, which will increase uh, market share. So some, some, I think a lot of the corporate behavior is about increasing corporate share. And if that means more black and brown people, Asian people, I even see Asian people these days in um, the commercials, in the shows, and they're going to do that because right. they want to increase market share. And then I, I would imagine there are some who really see the relationship between the ways in which they operate in the world and social justice, and they're trying to do what they can to make this a better world. And you can still make money.
0: How can we distinguish between the two Yeah, and still make money? How can we distinguish between the two? Is there a way we could look and say, hey, these guys are just, you know, they're just looking for the dollar. Is there a way to distinguish them, do you think?
1: I don't know. I don't know. I think you have I, – I really – I I don't know. I don't think there's any shortcut. You have to do your due diligence. Yes. You talk about the corporation who um, – what did you say? They – they gave a million dollars. Well,
0: they they they, they gave a million dollars to black organizations. Then the next day they announced that two white guys were in their leadership. And yeah. They have like yeah. eight or nine people or 10 people on the board and only one's black. And so, you right. know, I just, I don't see, I, I don't know if they're getting it. You know what right. I mean? I don't right. know if they're getting it, you know, and and that, that, but you're right. I mean, it has to be on an individual basis.
1: Yeah. We have to do our due diligence and, and hold corporations to ask questions ask questions, do our due diligence. Yes. How many people are on your board? How many people are in the C-suite? What do they look like? You know, if you just throw in right. money at this, right. Right. we'll receive the money and we want you to be sincerely making a change. So ask the and questions. Involved. Don't receive the money yeah. without. We want you to
0: be involved. Yes. Yep. Yes. Yes. Asking the questions and and you're right. We want you to be involved. So a new movie coming out on Emmett Till, which I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be called Till. And, um, I I looked at the Emmett Till situation. He was a 14-year-old kid killed in Mississippi. I think it was 1955 Mm -hmm. for allegedly accused of flirting with a white shop owner, Um, Mm -hmm. lynched, murdered, brutally Mm -hmm. beaten. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. his mother um, made sure everybody knew about that. So um, I saw a picture of George Floyd with the the officer on his back and it Mm -hmm. just reminded me it was a black and white reminded me of Emmett Mm -hmm. Till is George Floyd the Emmett Till of today do you think
1: I don't know I don't I when I think of Emmett Till and so many black men that have lost their lives due to white supremacy there was often a white female that set off the um the murder. Mm. You know, there's a white female. So in Emmett Till's case, is my understanding, he's from Chicago. He goes south. He doesn't quite know all the peculiarities of the Rose, southern right. way, mm. and so he goes into the store, comes out of the store. The owner's wife comes out of the store with their children. He looks at her and does a wolf call, and that was enough to get him murdered. Mm-hmm. But that is not unusual in the history of uh, Black folks in the United States. White women have often triggered the murder or the firing or the the criticizing, the chastising of Black men Mm -hmm. because he looked Mm -hmm. at me, Mm -hmm. because he... Mm -hmm. Uh, He bumped Mm -hmm. into me Mm -hmm. because he had the audacity to question me. So with George Floyd and Trayvon Martin and Ahmed Arbery Arbery and so many other black men that have lost their lives, there's not the white woman that is triggering the the pushback. It's just white men no longer need a white woman to justify their bad behavior. They're doing bad behavior just straight up on their own. And so there is that distinction that white men continue to be um, afraid, act out of their afraid, continue to want to maintain control by any means necessary. And how dare you look at my woman? Well, now it's just, how dare you walk down Mm -hmm. the street? How dare you in my neighborhood? How dare you? You know, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. So in that way, it's different. It, but it, but the similarity is that white men, I mean, that black men uh, do not have control over their body and that white men will do whatever they want to to maintain control over us.
0: It's interesting you mentioned the white woman uh, situation because I read a great book uh, about a year ago called "Devil in the Grove." It was about the Groveland Four, who were four black men accused of raping a white woman. It mm-hmm. didn't happen; never happened. But mm-hmm. she, she continued. They got persecuted. I think two of them ended up dead. Mm. So that um, that's a great book. I would recommend everybody reading that one. Um, one of the things I the, the connection I made with Till was just the, the you know the outrage at the Floyd murder and and, oh. and you know Till helped spark that whole. Civil rights struggle and the outrage of the of the uh, george floyd uh killing, what have you seen that you've been kind of heartened by since the George Floyd murder and race relations? do you think
1: Mhm mhm well, I like that you're asking me to reach for being heartened after um you know tragedy um how can I reach for being encouraged rather than being discouraged? so I appreciate being. And being pushed to find something good out of it. And what, <laughs> what comes to mind is that I am now seeing on television newscasters and journalists and um media folks actually using the words white supremacy in a sentence and their hair doesn't catch on fire Mm -hmm. or or racism. And, (laughs) you know, there was a time you couldn't say racism, let alone white supremacy. And they're now doing segments on white supremacy and asking questions Mm -hmm. and really trying to inform and educate and, Publicize the existence of this phenomenon, and so that is. I mean, I walk. We have the TV on all the time on, on, on uh, our news channels often, and uh, often on mute. Mm-hmm. And I will walk through and just stop and turn the sound on because someone is trying to have an honest conversation about the state of race in the United States of America. So that's mm-hmm. encouraging, that it has forced people. To talk. It has um, encouraged people to bring on experts on their station, on their news segment. Mm-hmm. So we get to be exposed mm-hmm. to Jason Johnson and Tiffany Cross and Eddie Gloud, mm-hmm. and there's Clay Kane mm-hmm. on Sirius You know, mm-hmm. so there's lots of people within our community that are speaking up, educating, and sharing, and that I am encouraged by
0: and it will get we that kind of leads me into my next thoughts, which was t- the critical race theory controversy. I was in a shop last week and I was telling you about the Till movie so the 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 preview came on and and a woman looked up she said who is that guy? Who I've never heard of him. It's, who is he? And I thought, well, <laughs> that's part of the problem. Exactly. But uh, the critical race theory is 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 something that's trying to overcome that. There's a, people want to go and, and teach in the classroom, teach about white supremacy, teach about the history of racism, teach about how laws in our country eroded the rights that were given to um, to um, people. And I think that's what your group. Kind of espouses is that. So, what's your thoughts on the critical race theory? It's very, very controversial.
1: Right, 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 right. I think critical race theory is being used to scare people of white race identity. You know, I think just the words themselves get white folks going, we don't want none of that. <laughs> you know, and so yeah, you've got yeah, school yeah. boards, school districts who are using the term critical race theory to really gin up anger, and fear, and resistance. And it is my understanding that critical race theory is something taught in law school. It is not what's taught in our primary and uh, high school. You know, it's not even, it's it's in law school. And it was an opportunity to examine, here we are in the 70s. We've had the civil rights movement. We are still uh, pursuing civil rights, but why are things better? And so there was an examination of the systems. That's, And so the result was that people learned that our systems have disparity baked into them, that it doesn't require the clan, It doesn't require a person acting in bad faith. It doesn't require someone saying, I'm not going to hire you, serve you, rent to you because of your race. That, in fact, it's beyond an individual act. It is systemic. It is baked into our systems. And I think about years ago, this is no longer the case, I would imagine, in police departments, it used to be a, a rule, at least in the police department I'm familiar with, that in order to qualify for the job, you needed to be—I don't know—five eleven, six feet, six foot, and so the, it didn't say women do not apply, mm-hmm. but at that time, twenty-four years ago, women mm-hmm. were not that height. And so it was baked into the policy, Mm -hmm. a rule was baked into the policy about height that kept women out. Similarity with race, there are policies baked into our system that keep Black people, Latinos, brown people out Not because of an individual act, but because of a policy. And so that is what critical race theory is about, to my understanding. It's unpacking our system Mm -hmm. to understand how are they holding white supremacy and keeping it even while we're trying to have progress with civil rights. So, what really needs to
0: and, and go ahead? You know, I was going to say, and 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 uh, they've turned it into a political issue. I mean, they're running their campaigns on it. If right. in opposition to it, I'm right. here in the sound. I'm in Florida. <laughs> That's what they're doing, you know.
1: Yep. Because people are not people are misinformed. They're lying to people. I mean, I think we're familiar with the practice of lying to the population. So <laughs> it is another lie. I mean, seriously. I mean. We are living in a country where we are, to our face, lied to. We're just straight up lied to. Yes. And so this is just another example where we are being told critical race theory is something that it is not. What we do want is for history, just as you already uh, referenced, to be taught. Yes. You know, people do need to know about Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. They need to know about the white college students who, of their own time, travel from the north to the south mm-hmm. to teach Black students who were receiving a second-class education, they need to be taught the good, the bad, and the ugly. But in their fear of history being taught and maybe white people looking bad, they say, let's not have these books in the library. Let's not have this curriculum taught. Uh, you can't say these mm-hmm. words mm-hmm. in the classroom. I mean, it—that is what's going on. They don't want history taught, and that is the effect. Someone not having heard of Emmett Till, so it, ignorance, I think, allows for violence yes. and for uh, all sorts of bad actors mm-hmm. to be in charge.
0: Yeah, and and I, the ignorance was the word I thought. As soon as the woman said, "I don't mm-hmm. know who Emmett Till is," I thought, "Well, that's part of their problem." But anyway, um, the other thing, and you mentioned a little bit, is that the post George Floyd outrage has spilled into other groups. Asian Americans. There was a lot of mm-hmm. focus on them last year because people were blaming them for COVID. Mm-hmm. And, you know, China started it. Your people started. They were beating them up. I mean, it was the whole thing. And then um, we, we're seeing more gay and transgender groups and interracial couples. On commercials and and things, has it spilled over into other groups? Do you think
1: uh, fear and violence spilled over? Is that the question? Has fear of the others spilled over? No,
0: more more inclusion, inclu- inclusion. Like you said, you see more Asians on television, and, oh, uh, uh, and oh, a oh, real oh, big oh. push of uh, transgender groups. Yeah.
1: I would like to think so. I would like to think that we are widening our aperture. We're widening our lens and being able to include more people in the center and have a a hunger for learning more about the other. So I'd like to think that.
0: But I hear complaints and, you know, these people, people saying, oh, I'm being beaten over the head with this stuff. You know, I see interracial couples on TV. I see homosexual families on TV. I, you know, they make up you know, say interracial couples make up one in 10 in America, uh, LB, LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, and bisexual, and transgender is about maybe 6%. And people say, Hey, you know, why is this? How do you respond to that? How do you talk
1: to people about that? Well, Jerry, I don't have a direct answer to that. I have a more circuitous response to that. We could
0: deal with that. <laughs>
1: I believe <laughs> that people are uncomfortable with the possibility that what they believe is true is actually not true. Hmm. I believe that we in the country of the United States of America have we have taught that race matters that the color of your skin matters that your gender matters that your religion your sexuality that your identities determine what whether you are of value or of or not of value that you have more value if you have this skin color less value if you have that skin color more value if you have this gender Less value if you have that gender. So if you have been raised believing that you have more value because you have white skin, more value because you are a male, more value because you are heterosexual, and on down the line, you are uncomfortable with the possibility that that is misinformation. Maybe I don't have more value. Mm-hmm. Because of these identities. Maybe mm-hmm. these others are not less than me. And then you're left with, well, then who am I? If if mm-hmm. I thought I was a good person and smart and responsible and deserving and entitled because of these identities, and now you're telling me that these people over here with different identities are just as smart, And capable and deserving as me, then something is not adding up here because we can't both be wonderful. Right. (laughs) And so I think people do feel like they're being beat over the head because they are uncomfortable with the possibility Mm -hmm. that What they think makes them wonderful is actually not what makes them wonderful. Mm -hmm. That their humanity is actually based on their values, Mm -hmm. not their identity. Mm -hmm. You know, do they do the right thing? Are they honest? Are they pleasant to people? Do they tell the truth? That's what Mm -hmm. creates your goodness. They've been living with the belief that their goodness is baked into their race, their gender their sexuality. So when they don't have that to lean on, they don't know what to replace it with. And so, yes, they feel like they're being beat on and under attack.
0: And you mentioned it earlier, and it's always been a driver of politics, it's fear. I mean, that's, that's kind of what drives all of this is fear and fear of the unknown and those kind of things. So uh, talking about beating out had everybody, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter movement causes a lot of uh, controversy. You know, you love it, you hate it. It's just been, you know, such a big part of our discussion now. And I was in Baltimore when the riots broke out over the uh, death of Freddie Gray. Gray was a, a small-time hood who unexplainably ran from the police one day. He was arrested, shackled by his hands and feet, placed unsecured in a police wagon. He tumbled and broke his neck and died while being driven to the police station. After the protests, though, it was interesting to me, after Gray's death, civil rights group, Black Lives Matter, a couple others came in. Uh, there was riots, there was you know, protests and all these things. And once it was over, the arrests in the city plummeted. And then I think that the police officers refused to go into the black neighborhoods and the poor neighborhoods because they feared that if they did something, they'd be accused of racism. What responsibility do you think groups like black lives matter and others have in working in inner city, black neighborhoods to address, um, which has been an amazing surge of violence, um, in the, in this last several years, I, I think of the word, um, from the Bible, um, you know um um faith without works is 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 dead mm-hmm. um what what role do you think these groups have to play in in trying to fight down this violence
1: well i think that the role that um black led organizations have with respect to violence or black lives in general is that we are responsible for telling Our people the truth about who we are. Just in my previous answer, I talked about the misinformation people who are white, male, and heterosexual might have about themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also, those of us in the Black community, have misinformation about ourselves. And so we are told that we are criminals, that we're stupid, that we are irresponsible, Mm -hmm. that we are not good leaders, that we're not able to learn, Mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. Our responsibility, those of us who have, by the grace of God, figured out that those are lies, Mm -hmm. our responsibility is to reach back to our, our community and to let our community know you are not a criminal. Those stereotypes that are out there about you are not true. You have got to find your true humanity and live your true life. And then that is the way we're going to reduce violence. That is the way we're going to reduce uh, self-destruction. People need to know the truth about who they are. Mm -hmm. We are not what people say we are. Now, in terms of poverty and those larger systemic issues, that is the work of the Institutions who are primarily white-led, they need to be about the business of improving resources going to our community, Mm -hmm. improving the education that happens within our community. You know, these tangible resources need to be redistributed, improved, etc., that's the job of the white led organizations, but the black led organizations
0: Because they control, they control the money. They control the money. Right, the money. Right.
1: They, yeah. right, right. But the black led organizations, we meet, need to be about the business of helping our people really know what's true about us so that we can live our lives authentically and um and then you're going to not have as much violence, et cetera, et cetera, because we'll we'll mm-hmm. not be buying mm-hmm. into the stereotypes.
0: So it's it's kind of the work that you do with your group, the National Coalition Building Institute. Tell us about them.
1: You got it. NCBI, you can find us online, ncbi.org, is dedicated to the elimination of all forms of oppression, such as what we've been talking or what I what we've been talking about, race. Religion, gender, um, sexuality, and so forth. We um, believe we can eliminate oppression by helping people get on a personal journey so that they, we are eliminating the trauma of oppression within our lives. Hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. So we believe that we can help people get in better relationship with themselves and get out of a hurt place, get out of a wounded place so that we are not hurting others. We also believe in the importance of unferreting. I don't know if that's a word. I might've made up a word of finding the racism. It is well. now.
0: It is now, fellas.
1: <laughs> <laughs> finding finding yeah. the disparity that, are, that is within systems. We believe in people. We believe in systems. And we help build the capacity for both the person and the system to be on the journey toward complete recovery and reclamation of our humanity.
0: And how can people donate to your organization?
1: Oh, thank you for asking. You can go on ncbi.org and that needs to take you to the National Coalition Building Institute. And there's a a donate button.
0: Excellent. Excellent.
1: We also want you to join us in in our institutes. Mm -hmm. We have three or more institutes per year where we are reaching people, teaching people. And uh, please come. And attend one of our institutes.
0: Awesome. Going forward, what what would you like to see in these these coming years um, as we move in? Dr. King, 54 years ago, um, was killed. Um, Where do we need to still go?
1: I would love, I can only repeat what I've already said. I want people of white race identity to know that you are good people, that you don't need Mm -hmm. to have The crutch of white supremacy to feel good about yourself. Get rid of that crutch. Know that you're good. Work from a place of value, not your identity. I want people of Black African heritage to know we are good people. We're traumatized by the impact of uh, oppression and we can heal and we can get back to our true humanity. That's what I want to leave folks with. Be your best self.
0: And that is a great way to close our program. We always appreciate you coming, it's good to hear you. Uh, You and I worked together up in Allentown and uh, I was a reporter when you were the Human Relations Commission person and you taught me a whole bunch. So I thank you for that and I thank you for being on today.
1: Thank you for the invitation, it's been a pleasure. And we will
0: be back next week with a thrilling edition of the Retail Politics Podcast. Until then, always remember, to read beyond the headlines. Have a great week. With the front row, award-winning reporter Gerard Shields takes you into the vanishing world of print news to a time when stories were reported, not invented or twisted. Imagine you have press credentials in the front row with Shields throughout his decades-long newspaper career covering political corruption scandal, and heroics during the critical events of our time. With dozens of Amazon five-star reviews, Shields' latest work, The Front Row, is a passionate study of American journalism while delivering his own invaluable life lessons. The Front Row by Gerard Shields, available now at Amazon.com.